Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is joining us from New Zealand, and his name is Robert Simmons, and he is the author of The Alchemy of Stones, co-creating with crystals, minerals, and gemstones for healing and transformation. The Alchemy of Stones presents an inspired breakthrough in Robert Simmons' 35-year career of exploring and revealing the spiritual qualities and potentials of minerals, crystals, and gemstones. This holistic, earth-based framework for understanding stones and their energies initiates readers into an alchemical worldview that leads to spiritual healing, transformation, and transcendence. Offering an illustrated illustrated dictionary of the spiritual qualities of more than 375 different minerals, crystals, and gemstones. He discusses the stages of alchemical transformation and provides meditative practices with each specific stone to go with each stage. He also explores how to work with stone mandalas, crystal body layouts, gemstone elixirs, and much more. Robert Simmons is the co-author of, excuse me, the co-founder of Heaven and Earth, a company offering gem and jewelry creations for self-healing and spiritual and emotional development. He's the author of several books, including the Book of Stones and Stones of the New Consciousness. And again, he's coming to us today from New Zealand. So for more information, you can visit his website, which is heavenandearthjewelry.com. That's heaven, A-N-D, earthjewelry.com. Hello, Robert. Yes, hello, Robert. It's good to be with you. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about about your book. It's a wonderful book. Um, But I, I love the title, The Alchemy of Stones. So would you mind kind of sharing with the listeners what you mean by it? Because, you know, a book title is really the most important part of communicating the message. So can you tell us a little bit about The Alchemy of Stones? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a co- title I chose very consciously because what I believe and what I've observed over the 35 years that I've been working with stones, meditating with stones, and uh, perceiving their energies is that um, – what people who are into crystals in the way that I'm just mentioned are actually doing intuitively is the same thing that was meant in ancient times by alchemy, spiritual alchemy in particular. And the alchemy stones I view as a spiritual path for achieving uh, healing, wholeness, and relationship with the divine feminine soul of the world through working co-creatively with crystal stones and the living earth. And it's a form of alchemy because the spiritual alchemy that was practiced for thousands of years was aimed at working in partnership with the world soul to manifest the highest spiritual potential in both the alchemist and in all of matter, 
And I actually feel like that's what the potential is of this big movement of people who are involved with stones. Yeah. Do you, have you noticed over the 35 years um, the increased interest? I mean, how has it been like, for, for me, it seems, you know, just in like the 20 years that I've kind of had a, uh, an, an eye on it kind of thing, it seems to me that, you know, there is a, a dramatic um, increase in interest, you know, in, in the last maybe five, ten years. I've noticed that as well, and it's an interesting thing because when I started my own involvement in the mid-'80s, Um, there was a Time Magazine cover that talked about the fad of crystals. And that fad's been going on for 35 years since then. So I kind of think it's moved past fad and into into being more of a movement. Um, And it's a spiritual movement that's caused by something very real. And I think that the, the feeling sense that people get when they actually connect with stones um, is so rewarding uh, that it's something people often will take on for the rest of their lives once once they begin. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, w- w- as I was going through your book, and then when I got to that that um, uh, glossary of, of pictures and the the meanings, the spiritual meanings, and, and chakras, and all of the details for the stones. I mean, it's it's just amazing the um, the variety of applications that that um, the connection can make. Yes, I agree. And you know, one one thing I I would say about that that's different in the alchemy of stones from some of the other uh, ways that people approach stones is that in my work and in the book, um, I suggest that people imagine the stones as beings rather than simply as objects. And the energies of the stone that we perceive can be viewed as interaction with the soul essence or the spiritual being of each stone. And when I sit down to write about a stone, what I do is I connect my heart to the stone. I use my breath for that. And as I inhale, I invite the stone into my heart. And as I exhale, I make an offering of myself to the being of the stone for relationship. And I invite the stone to communicate uh, by showing me its um, spiritual qualities. I say to the stone inwardly, what is your nature and what can we do together? And all the writing I've done about stones in the book of stones and what you see condensed in the dictionary in the back of the alchemy of stones comes out of that interactive connection with each of the 300 plus stones that are in there. Um, So it's in many ways like a shaman connects with his spirit helpers or her spirit helpers. Um, They view those helpers as actual beings who exist in the spiritual realm, yet they can affect healing and be helpful in this realm. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you look back and just through, you know, ancient history, just uh, the prominence, you know, stones and gems played in um, in daily life and in ritual, um, it's just it's just something. Um, so now, 
you you obviously have been, something happened you know, that uh, kind of sparked your interest in stone some 35 years ago. So for people, first of all, I'd like to know you know how that interest um, developed, and then um, for people out there who may not have had that spark, what would you say to them listening? Oh, that's that's a great couple of questions. Um, one thing I'd say is I've always been interested in stones. It seems to me that it has been my uh, my destiny, if you want to call it that, from childhood, because I used to go out in the backyard with a hammer day after day and whack on rocks in my backyard to break them open and look for crystals and fossils, and that's from the age of six. Um, and then as wow. I as I got into adulthood. Um, I became a jewelry designer, and what interested me about jewelry was the gemstones, not really the gold and silver. Um, and then I eventually stumbled on this stone called Moldavite, which is one of the four cornerstones of the alchemy of stones. Uh, it's an extraterrestrial meteoric gemstone. And uh, during the time I, right after I discovered Moldavite, I also met uh, my wife, and she said, Robert, you know, this stone is more important than just making jewelry. Um, you need to meditate with it. So I started doing that uh, every day at her behest. And one day I had a sudden, spontaneous, mystical experience holding that stone. Um, and it opened up my heart chakra first as if my heart was a big flower of light opening up inside my chest. And then it went both up and down my spine, this energy that came through the Moldavite and opened up all seven of the chakras and sent light coursing up and down the whole interior of my body. Um, so that was a major event for me. It was an ecstatic event, too. And that marked an initiation because up until that day, I had not been able to feel stone energy at all from any stone. And I was basically involved in it because my wife was. Um, but that day when we finally went down to the shop we had, for the first time, I could feel the energy of every stone in the store. And that really wow. turned my life in a new direction. Yeah. Wow. So, so <laughs> yeah, that, would be, <laughs> that would be life-changing for sure. It was indeed. And I've had a number of mystical experiences in life. That was the second major one. But what that did was made me realize that what all these crystal people who came into our shop to buy stones and hold their hands over them and tell me what they were feeling and all the things that I was kind of skeptical of, it showed me that those people were feeling something that was quite real. And it was me who was not perceptive, and that's why I didn't understand it. Um, what I'd say to people who are not already into stones is this. Just consider the fact that the experience of stone energies is completely real to millions of people around the world. And when it happens to you, you know it's real. So, you know, I'm glad my wife kind of pushed me to do those meditations with Moldavite because, you know, working with stones is beyond the stones themselves in the sense that it opens you up to the whole spiritual realm or what I call the realm of soul that overlaps between the realm of pure spirit and the material world. And in that realm of soul, that's where we meet the stone beings. That's where we discover our own subtle body. 
that's where we do the healing work with stone energies that they can help us do. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that's um, that's certainly I mean, for people who haven't explored. It's certainly worth um, doing that. Now, um, you've talked a couple times about um, you know meditation, doing meditation with the stones. Um, you include those in, in your book. Is that correct? Yes. Um, the book is designed as a kind of, it, it's got a lot of dimensions to it, as you mentioned to me when we were off the air. Um, one, one of the things is that it is a tutorial, you could say, in the sense of it, will, it brings people, whether you're already into stones or not, it step-by-step step takes you into my worldview, which is what I call the alchemical worldview, that the whole world is alive and conscious and that all the things of the world, including stones, have a spiritual aspect that is, includes their own sense of self and their own consciousness. Um, so coming from that place, um, we then go step by step with practices in which people can use some of the stones that are either mentioned in the book or are in their own collections to experience the relationship that um, the alchemy of stones is all about. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was obvious from um, reading your book, and it, particularly in that, the beginning part where you talk about your your worldview, um, uh, is yeah. that you, it's written from the heart. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that I found um, interesting is that you did – you dedicated your your book um, to a friend, a dear friend, um, Daniel Deerdorf, Danny. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that because I think I mean that, that to me that's a interesting interesting piece of the puzzle, a, a kind of of what of what you're doing and what other people can do as well. Well, thank you for asking about Danny. Uh, Danny was my dearest friend. Uh, he passed away um, just a little bit over a year ago, and um, I had both the great good fortune and the deep grief of being able to be with him on the last day of his life. Um, but we met uh, 17 years before that at um, Robert Bly's Great Mother Conference, and that is a, an event at which Danny was a teacher, and Danny's whole life and work was about myth, about song, about poetry, and first and foremost about living from and through the heart. Um, and he and I both agreed that the heart is the center of wisdom in the human being, and it's the place via, at which we can connect with our own deep self and with what the alchemists called the soul of the world, or Sophia, the wisdom of the world. And he lived that uh, every day of his life. And it was an amazing thing to see Danny live his life because he was one of the last people in America to, or in the world to get polio um, just as the vaccine had been discovered. And he was severely crippled and lived his whole life in a wheelchair. Uh, and in spite of that, or maybe because of the determination he had because of that, he transcended all the limitations that the doctors told him his life would have. Um, 
He got married. He fathered five daughters. He became a mentor to young men. He became a nationally known singer-songwriter in the 1980s. Um, he then went into this spiritual work with uh, the poet Robert Bly, where I met him. Um, but I'll tell you the truth, you know, the reason he's in my book, on top of all of those things, is that uh, he was my spiritual brother. He was my, my close, dear, loving friend. And uh, he helped me. He was actually the one who, when I completed the manuscript of The Alchemy of Stones, on my last visit with him, I read the whole book aloud to him, and he critiqued it, made suggestions, and uh, his ideas and quotes are peppered all through the book. Wow. Yeah, it, it's something. Now, the, the picture of you and Danny in the book is really a great picture. It can kind of really, it really um, conveys the spirit of who he is, I think, conveys the spirit of who he who he is. I don't say is because there's kind of a you had um I understand after death connection with with Danny. So um tell us about that because you know you you went apparently you and your wife also knew a um a medium and someone who yes. you respected and and Danny was a part of that uh Picture. Can you tell us about that? Because I, I again, I yeah, think I'm, I'm happy to do that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. The the after Danny died, as as you can imagine, um, I felt a great deal of grief and missed him tremendously. Um, and I knew already the most astonishing spiritual medium that I, far as I know, exists in the world. Her name is Sally Crow, um, and she, I knew from past experience, would be able to connect with him on the other side. So within a week of uh, his death, um, I had Sally, I called Sally and, and we did a session and Danny came through absolutely vibrantly and vividly and in a completely convincing way. Um, he said things to me that I knew and he knew that Sally didn't know you know, in a number mm-hmm. of places, and he gave us some very good advice from the other side as well. Yeah, that, that was interesting. And, and um, if I remember correctly, there was um, also one question asked about how it was over there, something to that effect, and, and he used um, a um, a callus and strings, a musician, musical kind of reference as to Yes, kind of what was going on, <laughs> and I thought that that was. I mean, it was, it was just a. To me, it was. I had never heard that kind of musical um, description of kind of what's going on, but it, it, it seems that it's. Um, yeah, it, it was just real unique. Well, I'll tell you about it since you mentioned it, so the listeners will know. Um, what what I said to Danny when we were. In addition to speaking with Sally, I should also say that I made an effort to tune into him myself. And although I'm not a spiritual medium and I don't have that ability as far as I know in general, like Sally does, with someone this close who wants to communicate with me as he does, I was able to connect with him. Um, And like I said, he did most of the work. But nonetheless, I was able to ask him things like, What's it like where you are now in the other world? And he showed me an image of his hand playing uh, a stringed instrument. Uh, 
and uh, with the other hand holding them down. And he said, where the callus meets the string. And that's one of his uh, metaphoric uh, terms that he used a lot. And what he meant by that is when you make music, it isn't your hands that make the music alone. You have to have an instrument. And it isn't the instrument that makes the music either. If you don't have someone playing it, it won't make a sound. So the place where the music occurs is where the effort and discipline and intention and focus of the musician meets the musical instrument's strings. And that overlapping place between what you might call the soul of the person and the physical instrument is where the beauty and divine qualities of great music emerge. So he was saying to me, I'm right in the other world where spirit and matter join, where the callus meets the string. And I love that answer from him because it gave me a real feel for what it was like where he is now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, to me, the imagery, it was it was a, a great image that, that I got, you know, because as I was going through and reading, that's one of those spots I just pause. <laughs> it's like, hmm, you know, let me let me consider this, you know, and, and, and it's great. Um, okay, so um, let's, you know, we kind of talked about, um, you know, where callus meets the strings. Um, what is, is there, when it comes to alchemy, um, are there, um, is there a particular goal or purpose um or or is it that um maybe depending on what your goal or purpose is there are, are certain types of uh, of energies to work with well there's a lot i could say about that so i'll just launch into it you see how it is with me robert you ask me a 10 word question and you get a <laughs> thousand word answer um that's what i like okay. but uh, okay oh good um, so one thing that it segues nicely because the reason, one reason I put in Danny's quote about where the callus meets the string is that in the alchemy of stones, we work in a very similar way. The stone itself has potential to emanate beneficial energies to human beings, but the human, that, but it's like the musical instrument in that it's sitting there, it's, it's a physical object. There's more than what's physical that's potentially there, meaning the stones emanate their, their energies in what I call the subtle realm. And then the person needs to come to the stone with their intention and their attention and their imagination. Um, and they open up to the stone, as I was describing in my own meditations. Um, and in doing that, the energies then can be the event of stone energies can, can then happen. I personally think that it is a co-creation, um, that the energies we feel are actually a product or an event that comes out of our meeting with the stone being. And so without both sides, they wouldn't happen. Um, and in addition to that, I'd say that's why I like alchemy as the metaphor or the, or the you might say, the, uh, the structure of the way to look at working with stones because the spiritual alchemists always believed, well, their purpose, first of all, because this is the same purpose of the alchemy of stones. Their purpose was to bring themselves and the world into their highest possible state of being. 
Um, the alchemists believed that they were always working in partnership with the soul of the world or wisdom or what they called Sophia, which was the Greek name for wisdom. And they said that they were led by Sophia. They followed her ways in doing their alchemical work. And their intention was to help her or to accelerate her purposes to manifest in the world. Um, So the purposes of Sophia or the world soul are very much in harmony with our own highest good, as you can imagine they would be since human beings are children of the earth. Um, So in entering into co-creative relationship through the stones with the soul of the world, both that's how we do what the alchemists were doing in their own co-creative work. Wow. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it's the, the world soul, soul or Sophia um, is such a interesting component <laughs> um, because it, it, um, it really kind of places the frame of mind in, in that, you know, that you're a part of the world. I mean, you know, I mean, just the recognition of being um, a part and, and a contributing source to that, you know, that uh, world wisdom or the world soul, you know, and um, and I, right now I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to that, um, recognizing that. But what, what you said when, when people kind of come to you, you talked about, you know, intention, um, but you also said imagination, and, and that kind of caught my, that kind of I kind of perked up with that one. Um, how does what does imagination how does imagination fit into the picture when it comes to you know working with um, the stones? If you were sitting here with me, I'd give you a hug for asking that question, Robert. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, imagination is 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 uh, is a key part of spiritual alchemy, and that's one of the things I discovered as I delved into. Um, studying alchemy, um, the alchemists distinguished between what they called true imagination and fantasy. And they said that the accomplishment of the alchemical work required using what they meant, what they called true imagination. Um, In my view, and I'll tell you what that is in a moment, in my view, um, intention, attention, and imagination are the three powers of the human psyche that we can exercise in order to make spiritual change and transformation happen in ourselves and in the outer world. Um, in, in our culture and in many cultures that are modern, although not in ancient cultures and not in indigenous cultures, imagination is denigrated as being unreal. People tell you, oh, that's just your imagination. If they took out the word just and they said, it's your imagination, that would just be a true statement if you're talking about something that's inner. You know, I had the experience Mm -hmm. of talking to my friend Danny after he passed. People could say it's your imagination or it's your true imagination in the language of the alchemists. And that would be right because my, the nature of my communication happened inwardly and there were images presented and um, the alchemists worked in what is uh, called the imaginal realm. And that does not mean 
an unreal realm, that means the realm of images. And shamans know that their spirit helpers will appear to them uh, in the image of an animal like a wolf or a bear or whatever other thing they're expressing. And the image is a symbolic presentation of the meaning that that spiritual being wants to convey. So when we work with stones, the same thing happens. And that is what I mean by true imagination. You enter into a situation in an open-ended way and you invite something to happen, but you don't force it to happen. You don't control it. And it's like you take yourself to the threshold by your intention and putting attention on it. And then when things unfold that you perhaps didn't expect, that's when your own power of image making or what the alchemists called true imagination comes into play. And we do have a lot of, when we focus those three powers together, we're tremendously powerful for bringing things into being. We don't control the world because we always have to do it co-creatively. The soul of the world is part of the dance. But we do get to put our intention into the inner realm, and then we watch how the soul of the world takes her step in the dance and how it then manifests. And it will often manifest even better than what we would have envisioned ourselves. So I, I know I took you on a long trip there, but does that make sense no. to you, Robert? Oh, it certainly does. No, I mean, I love the intention, attention, imagination. Now, I must say, though, from now on, the word imagination is going to be totally different for me. I I was always in that realm of fantasy, you know, that that imagination equals fantasy. You know, I mean, that kind of thing, or, you know, really close kind of, rather than the internal imaging kind of process that is involved. Um, so anyway, yeah, I my, think that's a real toxic, of... that's a very toxic influence from the modern culture. And it comes right out of scientific materialism and rationalism, which I have a lot of fun attacking in the first couple of chapters of the book, because those things have been very disempowering to human beings and very, and taken a lot of the joy out of life for us. Uh, the fact that yes. most people, because of the way that we've been enculturated, believe that there's no such thing as a spiritual world, that we don't really have any power, and that um, there's really nothing to life except you're born, you do things, and you die, and it's over. Those things are all tremendously depressing to the human spirit. And they're, I, from what I can see, they're not true. Um, and this yeah. denigration of imagination is a big part of how that is drilled into us. Because if we knew our imagination was a power and not something unreal, we would do a lot more with it. Exactly. You know, and the the thing, when you, when you think about children and imagination, you know, that's when, a, you know, if it's a young child, you know, they, they will, people will tend to, you know, say how cute that is, that's, you know, wonderful. And, you know, then once they start to get older, that's when it starts to get that um, uh, kind of a, a negative kind of, you know, that you're you're old enough, you know, you don't need your, your, imagine, your, your imagination, you know, you need to kind of settle down to quote reality kind of thing. And, and um, that's when it kind of, it kind of gets dampened. Um, but when you think about just a child 
actively involved in imagination, however that's working out, there's always that joy and happiness that they're exuding, you know? I mean, and it's, it seems such a, a natural connection between the two. I couldn't agree more, and that's a great example. And, and it is true that it's children who haven't had it drilled into their heads so much that they can't escape from it. And, in fact, you know, it's not as though the adults are setting out to do something bad to their kids. No. They think they're giving them the real facts. But it's because we've all been through this history of what I call, you know, materialism or rationalism that's been around for a few hundred years. We've been kind of beaten down by it into disbelieving in the very core of our own spiritual power, this intention, attention, and imagination. And I'm trying to rekindle that with the alchemy of stones um, because we really need it and the world needs it now, too. And, you know, the chaos that's yeah. going on in the world in so many dimensions, it, alchemically speaking, is not uh, simply a bad thing. It's certainly a difficult thing. But the alchemists knew that the tension between opposite polarities was the thing that brought uh, transcendent leaps into experience, into, into people's experience. It's holding both sides. And the alchemical diagrams always show the opposites, the sun and the moon and the black and the white and the, every other pair of polarities you can think of are, are exhibited in these diagrams the alchemists drew. And it's because it was right at the core of what they understood that a person doesn't take just one side of things and get anywhere. You have to hold both polarities and let the tension build up until transcendence happens. And that was what they were yeah. doing when they tried to create the goal of alchemy, you know, the philosopher's stone. Yeah, well, with that in mind, you know, there's a big brew going on <laughs> right now. So there should be some pretty hefty transformation and, and you know, uh, that kind of thing, transcendence going on, upcoming. So we're looking forward to that. So yes. anyway, uh, Robert, we're, and, and in my yeah, own life, little, Robert, I'll just say, because the alchemists uh -huh. also believed that as above, so below. And mm -hmm. so meaning that, that the same patterns prevail on the micro level and on the macro level, just like a galaxy and a snail have the same spiral. And what it means in terms of inner development is that, in, well, for me, for instance, in my own life, my experiences of transcendence were always preceded, almost always preceded by crisis, by difficulty, by inner tension. And it was holding the inner tension to a point in which it was kind of got to a breaking point that sent me into the experiences that I call transcendent later. So I take that along with as above, so below. And I think in the outer world, this great chaotic, disintegration of the old patterns is giving an opportunity for transcendence to happen in the world. And people like yeah. the people who work with stones can be seeds of that transformation just with their three powers, with those intention, attention, and imagination. Oh, 
Oh, I agree completely. So we're we're a little past halfway through the show, so I want to take just a quick break, and I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask Robert any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And if you're listening live in the chat room and you have any questions there, feel free to type them in. And then when we come back from the break, Robert, it's only about 90 seconds, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about um, stone mandalas, that, that you talk about in the book, because um, I think we've all seen those sometime in our lives. So let's give a quick talk about that, okay? Sounds great. Great. Okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website ByteRadio.me has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest, Robert Simmons, is joining us from New Zealand, and he is the author of The Alchemy of Stones, co-creating with crystals, minerals, and gemstones. And again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is heavenandearthjewelry.com. That's heaven, A-N-D, earthjewelry.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Robert. Okay, I'm here too. Okay, great. Well, before we go on, I just want to talk, uh, take a second about your heaven and earth jewelry your website i mean it's uh, it's amazing you, you've got everything under the earth or on the earth you know <laughs> on it and under it um in your store um could, would you just share with us just for the for the listeners kind of you know what you have at what what they can find at heaven and earth well um i i will we do try to have a really huge array of all the stones, particularly the high-energy stones that people might want to work with um, for their own path of spiritual evolution with stones. So, and we also offer a very big selection of jewelry. I specialize in the stones that I call the four cornerstones of the alchemy of stones, which are moldavite, azestulite, rosophia, and phenakite. Uh, so there's a lot of that there, but there's much, much more there are the there also are my DVDs of my workshops and all of my books, um, and we offer a lot of free information about stones, and we even offer some free stones for people 
who uh, want to participate in uh, earth healing or who they, if they feel they need some healing. Oh, great. Well, I know that it's just um, extensive. <laughs> I guess like, I was trying to think of the word. I mean, you've got just uh, everything, everything you can think of. And it's for, for people who really want to explore stones and variety and, and various uses, and, and the jewelry is beautiful, too. So, um, it's, it's a great site. Um, okay, so let's, before the break, <clears throat> I mentioned about um, stone um, mandalas, <clears throat> Or mandalas. Um, can you talk a little bit about them? I mean, I, I've seen them before. You know, a lot of times maybe as maybe a reverse spiral or you know just just in, in various types of formations. Um, can you talk about about them and and maybe you know what their usage would be? Certainly. Um, um, I'm. Uh, I, I could tell you that the word mandala means circle and uh, most mandalas are symmetrical and I would say the, the majority are, are in some form circular uh, and Carl Jung who was both a great psychologist and, the, and also a great uh, modernizer of ancient alchemy uh, believed that mandalas symbolized wholeness and if you look at many cultures going back through the centuries you'll find that all different cultures use mandalas the Tibetan Buddhists use many of them and make many of them, as well as the Hindu people and J- Japanese people. Um, and, and it's also uh, true in Native American cultures. They have mandalas in the form of sand paintings. And the alchemists also made mandalas. So there's symbolic renderings that hold spiritual patterns. Now, what we've done in the world of people who work with stones is we've taken the idea and pattern of a classic mandala and we've tried to bring it to life through making a combination of stone energies in that mandala form so i use and and i have pictures in the alchemy of stones of tiny little stone templates that might be only an inch or so or two inches across that have multiple stones glued onto another stone in a pattern up to bigger things like the size of a saucer or even a, like a 16-inch piece of uh, uh, tempered glass with a great big mandala of stones on it. And we go even larger to making grids on land and thing like that, things like that. But the point of all of them, the purpose of all of them, is to harmoniously combine the energies of a chosen group of stones, and you can use different groups for different purposes, to magnify their energy, harmonize their energy, and fill whatever uh, space or, uh, yeah, whatever space you're trying to fill with that synergistic combination of energies. Hmm. Wow. And so, I mean, and what stones are used and the patterns used is dependent on what you want to achieve, Correct. Right. For example, like if, if you were doing small ones, you might, what I call templates, but they're just small stone mandalas that are glued together. You might have uh, one over the heart to, to, to strengthen the heart chakra that has heart energy stones like Rose Sophia and Rose Quartz and Morganite and things like that. Uh, at the third eye, where you want maybe a visionary experience, you might place 
zeschulite and phenakite and damborite all put together and a few others on that little stone mandala. And you can also do what I call a grid layout where you have stones all around you in a circular pattern and you lie down in the middle of it so you're in that field that's created. You know, one way to look at this, and I wanted to mention it before, is um, if you think of each stone's energy as a note of music, then a mandala mm-hmm. where they're combined like this is like a chord. So it's a harmonious chord of multiple notes. And we all know from music how good that can sound and feel inside us. So it's the same general idea when we put stones together, except the music is silent. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a great analogy um, for very um, very clear. Now. You you mentioned the the four um, stones, that, which by the way are on the cover of your book, uh, Moldavite, Fenakite. I don't want to mess them all up. Can you tell us? Um, th- th- these are like the cornerstones. You, you mentioned them a couple times during the show. So can you kind of give us the the to, together the the reason that you feel that these are the cornerstones? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that's another good question. Um, I mentioned Moldavite earlier, and Moldavite is the stone that woke me up to my own ability to perceive stone energies, and this led me to this whole path. Um, So it's definitely key in my reality, and many, many people feel the same way about it. Uh, Moldavite is a a super popular stone in the crystal community, um, and it's got that distinction of being the only stone that actually ever, gemstone that ever fell from the sky. It's meteoric. Um, so many legends around it, including the legend of the Stone of the Holy Grail, and uh, there's a thing in alchemy called the Emerald Tablet, which Moldavite has a resemblance to, because it is a green stone from heaven. Um, but uh, I won't go in any deeper. That's just one of the four. Um, phenocyte, as I mentioned a minute ago, or phenakite, it's said both ways, is a visionary stone. It's the strongest stone for activating the third eye, particularly on the forehead, Um, or the crown chakra, but especially the third eye. So it's a stone that opens up the ability to perceive interdimensionally in a lot of us. Now, at the top of my mandala picture on the cover of my book, I show a zestulite. And a zestulite is, in my view, a stone that is a stone of spiritual light. It's like the descent of heavenly light being emanated through a stone. Um, and in, in the lore around the Zestulite is that it's connected to the vibrations or the currents coming from what's called the great central sun, uh, which is the spiritual core that exists holographically everywhere in the universe. So you can take that mouthful. And then the bottom stone um, is Rosophia. Um, and that is the stone, it's a, it's a reddish kind of salmon-colored stone that to me um, most clearly is a conduit for the energies of the soul of the world, of who I name as Sophia, um, and I'm in accord with the old alchemical name for her. So you might say that Zestulite is heaven's light reaching down, and Rosophia is the earth's love reaching up to meet it. And when we use them together, that energy, those two energies meet in our heart. And it's a, it's a remarkably beautiful experience to do that. So those four are the ones I work with the most myself, and I feel that they're 
you know, I wanted to elevate them to a high degree of prominence in the alchemy of stones because uh, I think they're they're key to all the things I write about in the book. Yeah, yeah, that that picture of the zestulite on the cover looks just like a flame. <laughs> when I look at it, I just that is the first image that it brings up for me. Um, yeah, like a flame okay. of white light. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Wow. So now um, we're kind of getting down toward the end of the show, so I want to get a couple more topics in just so people will understand, again, some of the variety that you have in your book. Um, There there are chapters in the the book um, about stone body layouts and and something you call phototonic layouts. So can you talk to us about what those are and and why you included them in the book? Sure. Uh, A stone body layout is, I just mentioned it a bit ago in terms of grids. It's basically just someone lies down and a partner or yourself places stones that are, that you are, uh, have intentional reasons to be there on the different chakra areas of the body or even in between them. And you can make a body layout for healing or protection or uh, grounding or ascension or any purpose you want. And, in the book, when I have I have a chapter on that, and I offer about a dozen different uh, body layout recipes that people can try uh, for different purposes. So it's a really simple thing. It's very powerful. I offer it in all my workshops, uh, and people get a lot from it. So that's one thing. The, the 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 photonic layouts are the same basic idea, except you use a photograph of a person uh, or yourself and you place those stones on the photograph. And it's been very interesting to see that people at my workshops, when we do this, if, have the same experiences from the stones being placed on their picture that they do when the stones are placed on their bodies. And this is a huge area for exploration because since that seems to be the case, there's all kinds of applications. You can treat yourself or someone else over a long period of time instead of just a short time on a regular body layout. You can treat people or, other, or, or pets or places or gardens or pieces of land or even the image of the whole earth with uh, stones for the beneficial purposes that you might envision. And you can also put a, a stone layout, as I think I, I might have just said, Uh, for a longer period of time, yeah. Um, We even go into treating your own DNA on a photonic layout. So there's huge areas to explore there, and our experiments so far show that something is really happening. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, I guess, an energy blueprint, the photos, and, you know, uh, affecting that, you know, I mean, obviously it allows for, I mean, in this day of COVID, it really allows for a lot of remote work that can be done without having to be there. Yes. Yes. And in the realm of soul, you know, it's non-local. It's not a matter of having to physically be in one place or the other. So when you're working on that level, on the subtle energy level, you can work remotely with both, and, and you can work on things like, treating uh, polluted areas of the planet or, you know, uh, cities where there's trouble or, you know, different things, whatever you can ethically choose to do and feel you have uh, the right intention for. 
Yeah, well, that that's that's amazing. It, um, it certainly does. It would be wonderful to have some, uh, you know, studies done. You know, and, and looking at the you know the connection and the effects. You know, causal. It might not be causal and effect, but but basically the effect of, of those kinds of processes. Um, well, you know, now, I'll just say, Robert, this is a place where our mm-hmm. three powers of intention, attention, and imagination get focused through the photograph, which is a symbol for whatever it is you're trying to treat. And that's that way the inner worlds work symbolically in relationship with the outer world. That's why these things work, in my view. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, now, I was I was surprised at the um, presence of stone elixirs. I had no idea such a thing existed. Uh, can you tell us about that? I mean, to me, that's just uh, certainly very interesting. Yeah, stone elixirs have been around for a while. I'm not the one to first think of them, but I use them and I uh, give recipes in the book for how to do it and different ones that you can do for different purposes. Um, Very easy to do. It's basically placing stones in or near water and with intention and um, using the stone energies to charge the water uh, with the pattern of energies that you're trying to put into it. And then you either uh, drink the water or use it under your tongue like a like a an herb, a mm-hmm. herbal remedy might be, or you can also, uh, you know, use it externally or spray it. That's what one thing we do is we make sprays to sort of treat your aura because in every case what we're doing is we're using the water as a carrier to bring the subtle energies into contact through the water's subtle energy with the subtle energy of your of the person. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that's just such a, 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 a wonder. A, really, it's a, a different, um, additional use. You know, when it comes to you know healing and, and um, what people can do with stones. So, um, gosh, we're getting down toward the end of the show. So, I, I have to ask you: three hundred and seventy-five photos and descriptions um, of, of gemstones and uh, is I mean how did it take you yeah, obviously it took you years to assemble that but to me I, um, that is quite um, an undertaking so that, I know that's a lot of work when you, and when you look at the, the, the color photos and, and all of the details I mean that's um, it can be overwhelming so tell us, you know, why, you know, first of all, how you got to the 375 and um, and the decision-making and, you know, and making and having those color photos accompanying the descriptions. Well, what I wanted to do, the color photos are, are um, I mean, first of all, I wanted my book to be beautiful. And we have a lot of color and illustrations of all kinds throughout it uh, that are also meaningful to what's being written about. And in the back here of the book, there's about this 80-page stone dictionary, which has an image of each stone, the keywords, the elemental energy it goes with, and its physical, emotional, and spiritual qualities. And the idea for that is to give people a reference, but not only a reference, but also potentially a vibrational connection. We found over the years through my other books, like the Book of Stones, that people have told us that they can feel the, some people have told us they can feel the energy 
of a stone or know that that's the right stone for them straight from the picture. Um, and I believe that because it's the same idea that we use in the photonic layouts. The picture stands right. in the place of the actual stone, and you can get a taste of what the stone's energy is like from the image. So that's why it, those are the two reasons why it's illustrated. And I wanted this dictionary to be in the book and have all the same stones in it that are in my bigger books, but it's right there at hand for people who are working with this alchemy of stones to look up whatever they want. Yeah. Well, like I say, it, it's um, it's a wonderful reference. Um, you know, the dictionary and, and all of the information, and and well, I, I just have to say, I'm impressed with your book. <laughs> um, I learned a lot from it, and and uh, you know, from from a, a novice, um, but um, but I can see where you know it the information would appeal to anyone from someone who doesn't know anything about stones and, and energies to someone who's working with them. There's something for everyone. So, Robert, I really want to thank you for your time this morning. It, it, I really enjoy speaking with you, and again, I enjoyed reading your book. This is one of those books I'm going to have to go through time and again. <laughs> you know, it's, there's, just, uh, there's just a lot of information in there, So, but um, it's, it's really good information. So, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Robert. It's been a privilege to be with you and to speak to your listeners. And, you know, this is the work of my heart. This is something I care about very deeply. And uh, to anyone who resonates with any of the things I've said, I hope they'll pursue that further because this path has yeah. been very rewarding for me. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, you can tell. I mean, you're, you're the, the love you know, of the topic comes through in the writing. And um, so good job. So thank you very much. And, and now if people want to get in touch with you, would they be doing it through the heavenandearthjewelry.com website? Oh. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, um, okay. Heavenandearth at earthlink.net is the email address, and it's all spelled out as one word. Uh, and anybody who wants to write me about their stone experiences or ask questions or anything like that, can send an email there. Uh, and we have a big catalog we, you, they can request, to. That's a printed catalog in addition to the website. So they can ask for that through the email or the website. Great. Well, again, thank you for your time, and, and I look forward to uh, expanding my experience <laughs> with stones. Well, thank you, Robert. Like I said, it's a privilege to be with you, and I really appreciate your invitation. Thank you very much. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Robert Simmons, and he's from New Zealand, and we've been talking about his new book, The Alchemy of Stones, Co-Creating with Crystals, Minerals, and Gemstones for Healing and Transformation. It is an excellent book for those of you who want to learn about stones or for those of you who are currently working with stones and want to learn a whole lot more. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter at Bite Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.